0: everyone. Good to see so many people here. Good to see some faces we haven't seen in a while. Just uh wonderful to be able to spend time in the Lord together. Amen. All right. So no daunting task at all preaching on John 3:16. It's, it's it's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um kind of makes me think of why do we preach the word of God? Why do we um, continually preach the gospel over and over again, the good news to those who know it? and, And why do we preach it to individuals that we meet who don't know it? Well, I guess the answer is fairly obvious. I mean, because for the one who doesn't know it, because the words of Jesus are life to those who are perishing, right? And for us, for those who know the Lord, the words are nourishment, and they sustenance, and they're a reminder of the truth that we live in, and, and encouragement in our faith, and a way of building us up. And, and so uh, I don't know how many times you, can, you you, need to hear or should hear um, about the Lord and his message, but it's just never enough. That's my theory. And so we preach the gospel no matter what we're preaching on through the scriptures, it all is pointing to Christ. And, and, and even, the, even in, in the most, seems maybe the subtlest ways, it's always pointing to him, we're always preaching the gospel in that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, thank you for all you have done for us. I think of all of those songs and uh, the prayer of our hearts is come, Lord Jesus, come for those of us who know you, uh, that you continually come into our hearts that you continually refresh our minds, uh, that you build us up day by day. As Paul's, uh, or pardon me, as as the King David said, please, Lord, do not take your spirit from me. We, we yearn for you. Uh, we desire your presence and we desire your goodness to overflow upon us. And then the call for those who don't know you, um, th- they may not be crying, come, Lord Jesus, come. But at the moment that they do, we know that you are there. We know that you, um, whoever cries out to you, you respond. And so we, we, we praise you, and we thank you, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us this day to grow in you, to understand your word, to praise and glorify you, which is the, the chief thing we are to do, to be focused on you and not on ourselves. And so we pray, Lord, um, Watch over us this day and help us as we dig into your word. Amen. All right. So for for God so loved the world and I think we could spend a lot of Sundays on those six words. For God so loved the world. And, and I think it's the best, probably the best known verse in the scriptures both to believers and unbelievers and to unbelievers because of what, sports games, and, <laughs> right, I mean, throughout the world, we, you, you know, you see the John 3.16 message uh, displayed, um, so, we, you know, we bless those Christians all around the world who, uh, you know, it says that, the yeah, demanded Jesus signs, so we're meeting that when we, you know, <laughs> we're holding up the sign, pointing to Jesus. But, you know, if we were to end there, um, it would be true, right? It's a a true statement, but it's incomplete about the person and the nature of God. It's not a complete statement. It's a good statement. It's a true statement, but not complete. You know, I mean, indeed, God is love, and uh, we can only love God because he first loved us. Right? We know that truth. But if we don't read the rest of John 3.16 and the verses that come before it and after it, the verses that surround it, we can form a, a skewed picture of God, not a, not a complete picture, and maybe even an, an unreal picture, because it's, it's, it's not that it's, not, it's, it's the truth. It's not an untruth, but it's not complete. It's not whole. Because God's love, though extended to all of creation, needs to be understood in the way that God explains it right? Not in the way that we want it to be or or we want to explain it, but the way that God explains it in his word. So, and after all, God is love, and it is his attribute. It is his attribute. God is love, and so we need to understand it through him who can only explain it best, right? So too much of the world today, including the church, Likes the idea of a God who loves without limit or conditions, right? And even will use the term unconditional love incorrectly, right? Um, They want to make it about themselves and that there's no conditions put on them uh, in order to receive God's love, and that's not what he was talking about. And then, like I said, the problem is you end up with a doctrine that the Bible that's not in it, it's not in the Bible but we're making up a God that that really suits our own needs and desires, and a God who we say loves unconditionally no matter what I do, right? I mean, that's the God that a a lot of the world really desires, because that's an easy God, right? I mean, and there's truth in that. God does love us unconditionally, in the broader sense, right, in that, that full sense, and, then, and we know that the, we, we sin, he still loves us, right? But we can't end there. We, we need to go farther, we need to go deeper than that. Because if we end there, then the next step is to think that he doesn't care about our sin, that there's no repercussions to it, that it's not important, and that's just not true. You know, the, that's, and that's the idea that so much of the world wants and, and some of the church is really gone in their teaching in this uh, God is love but they don't talk about justice and, and all the other matters um, that God will always love us and bless us no matter what and, and that's just not biblical that's that's not what the message says in fact I, I'm not sure the Bible makes that statement anywhere right not like that but from page one on the story really is about a holy God, a holy and righteous God who is in opposition to sin, in opposition to sin. But here is where the love comes in because the truth is, right, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That Paul continues on and says, no one is good, no, not one. That the wages of sin is death, right? And, but... But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And that's where the love comes in. God, in his great love and mercy, made a way out of this predicament for us. He didn't put us in the predicament. (laughs) We put ourselves there. But he made a way out for us. And hence the words, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And uh, I'm pretty sure every one of you could quote that verse. We did we did that with Penny this morning. She was like, Oh yeah, what am I reading again? And I'm like, For God so loved the world that that the Lord's Prayer and Psalm twenty three. Right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> You know, so you see that it's absolutely true that God loves us and doesn't want us to perish because of our sin, which is in opposition to him, right? So he provided a way out in his son, Jesus. And the problem is, for the majority of the world, Peter and others say Jesus is a stumbling block. Well, Jesus said it first, right? He said that he was a stumbling block. Um, For some, he is the cornerstone, but for others, he is the stone that they trip over, that they stumble over. And and many people, lots of people are fine with a God is that is defined by their needs and their desires, a God who loves everyone without conditions, judgment, or cost, right? A God who oozes out love for mankind and opens up the gates of heaven who all want to enter. You're all welcome here. You're all, come on in. And that's an easy God to love, right? It's, and to believe in. Sorry, it's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of the Bible. And if we don't put our trust in the Bible as an accurate source about God, then we can just make up whatever we want. And that's, that's what it comes down to. If we do not accept this as the source of truth and the word of God, well, then we don't have anything. We, we can do whatever we want. It's kind of like when Paul says, if, if Christ really isn't the Messiah, then we're the most to be pitied. In all the world, you might as well go ahead and party and do whatever you want, because then there is no such thing as sin. It's all just, right? So we need a constant. We need something that we come back to that doesn't change. The Lord doesn't change, and his word doesn't change. And so we have that constant. And so this is... Uh, our foundation that we rely upon, what we look to to understand the Lord. And we can do that because we know it is His Word, His ordained Word, His Word that He has passed through men so that we may understand Him. So the problem is the world is saying that the all powerful God of the universe who created us has no right to dictate to us how His kingdom works or to judge us. That's what a a big part of the world is saying. He has no right to judge us, right? Which is odd, because if they don't believe in him, then why are they saying he has no right to judge you? He doesn't exist, right? (laughs) How can something that doesn't exist not judge you or have no right? They want to make God subservient to themselves, and that really is the ultimate sin of man. Right, That really is the ultimate sin of man. Elevating himself above God. That really is um, what it comes down to. But John 3.16 says there is a very specific purpose behind God's love and a very specific way to enter into it. Right, That it's not random, that it's specific, and it's set down by God. And also, it points to the fact that God's love is far greater than we even imagined, because it entails the sacrifice of his own self, that He gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have a life, own eternal life, that he gave his son. Right? And I guess really the image we, we come to when we think about from a human perspective, is Abraham, who so loved the Lord and trusted the Lord, that he gave his son, right? He was ready to give up his son to the Lord. And so from a human perspective, those of us who are parents uh, grab the depth of that, the heart of that, right? Now, this is very specific, right? God is telling us he has provided a way to keep us from perishing because of our sin, Sin we were born with as children of Adam. Contrary to most of the world, that says that um, we are born good. We know the Bible tells us, that is not true. You, uh, you are born with a sin nature, right? Against God, so to speak. So I'm going to use this image of uh, the, the sea, okay? And all of us being in the sea. So I'm going to use a bit of that image as we go. So, God is providing us a life raft, but it really is a life raft made of his son's own flesh and blood. I mean, it it really is that sacrifice of his life that makes up that life raft, if you want to call it that. And the father didn't just send his son Jesus into the world so so we wouldn't perish, but the fact that Jesus had to perish so we would not, right? Jesus had to pay for the sin that we could not pay for. It was impossible for us to pay for. John 15, 13 says, this is another one you probably know, greater love has no one than this that he lays down his life for his friends. And and that is the love of God, again, in in a nutshell, right? The willingness to sacrifice himself for his creation. And... From a worldly perspective, that's absurd. It seems absurd. Even from a perspective of historical religious or religions, it doesn't matter, Greek, Rome, whatever, what God that they held up was willing to sacrifice himself for his people. So, you know, people hear this and they may think, wow, that's great. I I like this Jesus idea. Sign me up. It sounds good. The problem is, there is a part that we have to play in the process of forgiveness and receiving eternal life. It's it's not just that easy, and yet it is that easy, but it's not just that easy, (laughs) right? There is a condition, and it it stops many people from being reconciled to God, being brought back into a, a... being in right relationship with Him as He defines it, as He says it is to be. That that verse, or the, the verse in three sixteen, everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. So, what does that entail? Is is believing as as simple as any idea or concept, um, you know, like believing that the the sun is going to rise, right? So believing in that, and, well, yes and no, it, it, because you have been taught and observed that the sun rises daily, right? You've been taught that, you've observed that, and so you believe in that. But believing in Jesus is, is a new endeavor. It, it is something different, so to speak. It's a, a leap of faith with no previous, previous personal experience, right? So you may have been taught about Jesus, um you may have learned about him or people have spoken of him but you don't have personal experience with Jesus Christ until you have personal experience with Jesus Christ right so belief in Jesus though it is it's often predicated by teaching right by uh someone testimony a testimony of others by someone talking about him and preaching and of course reading the Bible but as Jesus told Nicodemus and is repeated throughout the Scriptures, that belief comes through the work of the Holy Spirit revealing the truth of Jesus Christ to us. Now, that's not necessarily a a narrow thing or a, uh, how would you say, uh, an exclusive thing at all, which some people might believe it is. But the truth is only only through the Holy Spirit of God moving in our hearts and minds minds that we can believe and be, as he said to Nicodemus, born again, right? It's not something we can manufacture, something that we can come up with. Otherwise, our belief is based on works. It's based on what we are doing by our effort and not the free gift of of grace, not the free gift of God. So, the, the, the kind of belief that we're talking about, this born again belief, comes from God's and, and it transcends human understanding or ability in, in many ways. It comes through faith. And we know uh, through Ephesians and what Paul says that faith is a gift from God. It, and, and it continues to be a gift from God. Growing in faith is part of a, a gift from God to help us, right? It's faith to believe and faith to continue to believe and follow God. And the scriptures also say, and this is a reality, unfortunately, that belief in God is not for everyone. It's it's not for everyone. And I say that not because I'm being exclusive or judgmental or Calvinistic. You know, we use that term, I think, improperly to imply uh, that we can't do anything. God does everything and we have no role. And, and he just, uh, it's, it's kind of the, the sense that he just chooses who he chooses and we play no part in that. I'm not talking about this wrong Calvinistic idea. I'm just stating a fact as revealed by the scriptures. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, Jesus himself says this. Right? It's not something I'm saying. It's, it's something that Jesus has told us is the reality in, in this life. He's saying that only a few, some few, which, what does that mean, out of billions, Right? Um, will believe in him and be saved, though he died for all. He died for all. But only some will respond to the call of the Holy Spirit in their heart, and we don't know who those are. Only the Lord knows who, who will respond. So do we say yes to Jesus and to his salvation through his shed blood, or no and condemn ourselves to destruction? See, God doesn't condemn us. Our decision condemns ourselves. Our actions condemn us. Verse 17, 317 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, I'm going to use that sea image again. Jesus really is the only life raft in the sea. Okay? Okay. Jesus brings a chance at eternal life, escape from the sea, if you want to call it that, that we're all born into, and, uh, and swim about in. We'll call it the sea of sin <laughs> as an imagery, right? Well, you only got a limited time that you can swim in the sea before you drown, right? And we can say that's our lifetime before we physically die. His coming, he says, was not to condemn those who don't believe. He says, all mankind was already in the sea before Jesus came. All were already condemned at our, de- at our birth. Condemned to die both a physical and spiritual death because of our sin nature. So, some see the life raft, recognize their drowning, acknowledge their sin, if we want to put it that way, right? Acknowledge their sin And accept help getting aboard the raft. They they want life. They want to live. And so they they accept that help. Others refuse to see the raft. They don't want to see the raft. Or their pride keeps them from wanting help from Jesus, who says, but I can save you. But I can save you. Now, part of the problem is, is when people don't realize they're drowning. I don't believe they're drowning, right? They, and they're very independent and prideful. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we have a, a saying that children say this lots, don't they? I do it, <laughs> right? I do it. Um, and we can fall into that. You know, the, the reality is, as many people don't like the fact that God has put a condition on getting into the raft, They don't like that. They don't like the condition, which is believe in Jesus as the one who can save you from your sin. They don't want to acknowledge their sin and to remain, and and, and so they remain in the sea in their sin until they die. They're not willing to acknowledge. and, And this really comes from a lot of places. It comes from the human heart, but it also stems from a lot of religious belief, Eastern belief, that doesn't believe in sin that believes that the world is, is well, you've heard of yin and yang, right? Hot and cold, dark and light, good and bad. It's it just what is. It's just the world. It's just how it is. But they don't see sin as a concept, as an opposition to God, as an offense to God. So everyone has this chance. Everyone has this chance, this opportunity to be saved by Jesus, but few are those who see the truth of their sin and their need for a Savior. And that's why in verse 18, says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stand condemns already, because they have not, not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Bottom line, if you reject Jesus, you are rejecting God who has sent him. Right? And this seems too exclusive for many. And I have to admit, for me, it was the same. I thought it was exclusive. I'd like, you know, I I didn't, I guess I was with this, I didn't like the idea that I had to believe in one specific person in order to have a relationship with God. I didn't like that. I didn't like that I had to be, believe in Jesus in order to be close to God or to be in a proper relationship with him. That didn't make sense to me. And it seemed very exclusive and very narrow. Like many others, I was I believed that God was expressing himself through all the religions, right? That he was he was showing himself through all of these different ways. And everybody understood a part of that, but maybe they didn't have the whole, but that they were they were able to see God and, and experience God through the way they wanted to. And, and if you want to experience that today, you can go down to the Universalist Church. Oh, sorry, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that. But it's, it's true, right? Everything's okay. Everything's God, right? It, it's, and it's a sad reality that they embrace that and they see that it's true and they completely miss Jesus Christ. Well, no, Jesus Christ too, but you see what it is, right? It's a Jesus Christ plus, or it's excluding him completely, and still they feel that they are close to God. Uh, and it's the big reason that so many people in the world don't want to accept Jesus Christ because they see him as a man, and they don't want to believe in him as anything other than that, that he is only a man, maybe a good man, maybe a God bless a man a God blessed him as but not. Not God. But God the Father says that Jesus is his one and only Son. Right? And that it is only through belief in Him that we can be forgiven and receive eternal life. Um, and more than life that, that goes on after physical death, we he he tells us that we have life now in Him. Something changes profoundly now when you believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells you. There is a radical change now. There is power now in your life through Christ, not just a promise of eternal life, because one passage says, and this is eternal life, right? And it expresses the now of that in, in this moment. So God didn't send Buddha. He didn't send Sartha Gautama. He didn't send Muhammad. And I can go through this big list of people he didn't send. Really big list. He didn't send three laugh, life rafts or life rafts or four life rafts or even two. He sent one. And that life raft is Jesus Christ and there's room on it for everyone. It's huge. It'll fit. How many billion people are in the world? Seven million billion. It's bigger than that. It'll fit everyone. There's no limit or capacity and that's what so often is the stumbling block or the trap uh, where we, that so many people think that it's an exclusive thing. It's not. It's the way that a gracious and loving God provided a way out of our predicament, out of that sea of sin. And who are we to tell holy God <laughs> what way to choose in order to do that? I think what's really cool is God's love, which I feel inadequate to speak about in so many ways because words don't seem to suffice. You know that raft comes around more than once <laughs> in your lifetime. Now, you, you, and, and I know that because I've experienced that. There was a couple, a couple, three times before I believe that you, I can look back and see the Lord was showing me the raft. And I... I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to hear about it. God is patient, and he desires that none should perish, right? We know that. But if I were you, I'd get on the raft when you see it. (laughs) Because you don't know the number of your, your years, the number of your days. You don't know. So today is the day. The scriptures say, no one knows the day or the hour of their death. And so, don't take that risk. It's a huge risk. Why take the gamble, right? With your very soul. I mean, we, we're so willing to gamble with so much, but our soul? Really to gamble with that. Remember, Jesus says, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, in the image I've been using, right? Where all of us are swimming around in the sea of sin, and few are those Who acknowledge their sin and their need for a Savior. And so few are those who escape the sea and receive eternal life. In verse 19, it says, This is the verdict, or this is the judgment. Maybe I should read the whole thing. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, and people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This is a statement by the judge who has the only authority to judge, right? Whether you believe in his authority or not, it's kind of like, uh, well, let's say we're in a courtroom, and I come before the judge, and and guilty or not, doesn't matter, but I, I say to the judge, you have no authority over me. You have none over me. He goes, oh, that's nice. That's nice. You don't have to believe in my authority. But I can choose to put you in jail or to release you, right? And that is the truth. That is the reality. God, God, who is the judge of all, the supreme judge, the highest judge, says to all mankind: "Look, this is how it is. How do we say it in Spanish? Así es. That's how it is, right?" And he says that light, Jesus, has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And then verse 20 continues on. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. People's fear that their evil deeds will be exposed, outweighs their desire for life. So people's fear of exposure outweighs the desire for life. So they would rather stay in the dark, be ignorant to the life that is available to them, than to be exposed. In 1 Peter, I guess 2.9, Peter says we should declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his beautiful light or his glorious light. And that scripture held great meaning for me when I first became a believer some 14, coming almost on 14 years ago, 15 years ago. I'll have to do the math on that. And um, it had such deep context for me because I knew it. I knew the darkness I was in. I absolutely understood that. And, And the profound love of God that you feel knowing that he pulled you out of that and gave you something amazing, something so beautiful. That's the love of God. And, and Peter says this because he knows how much better it is to be into the, in the light, not to hide, not to have to suffer shame over and over and over again. And there is profound peace in knowing you are forgiven. And it's this peace that comes because our actions are exposed. (laughs) Not because we're hiding them. Because we could not escape the penalty for those actions. And when you understand that and you experience God forgiving you, being cleansed of all unrighteousness and forgiven, it's profound you are set free. And so what verse 19 and 22 are speaking directly to actions in our life, the things we are doing, whether thoughts or activities or behavior, behaviors, that God classifies is as opposite to what is good. Right? He says these are actions that are opposite to what is good. Okay, but now we all know some really good people in the world, right, who don't know the Lord. Amazing people, beautiful people, who do great good. Well, is God talking about them? Is he talking about their actions? Is is God saying their actions are evil? Well, yes, he is. And and I'll explain to you why that is. Because how could it be that good deeds, good things, would be considered evil? And I think it's because we need to understand the definition Rejection of Jesus Christ. Rejection of God who sent him. Who is the sum of all that is good. Rejection against them is rebellion against, the God, against God. Which is by its very definition evil. Okay? We're not talking about these people doing terrible things. They're actually good, mostly. Right? The problem is they're in rebellion against God. Okay. So they're in rebellion against God, and that's what we're talking about. That the actions of a good person when done without acknowledgement of a, of God, without glorifying God, are in fact opposed to God. All right? And I believe it was Tozer who said this uh, uh, and and helped me to understand this that even the best actions and intentions of someone who opposes God or rejects God outright right, have no worth because they're not in the kingdom. They're not done for God. They don't glorify God. And so maybe they have a worth in a human perspective and on that. And they do. Helping others, all of that has a value. But they are still in rebellion to God. And that's what we're really talking about here. And it's because it's not goodness by human standards that makes us right with God. It's not that that's works right but it's acknowledgement that we are sinners have rebellion within us and that we need a savior the only one sent by god who can free us is jesus christ right so we we, we move in belief in jesus christ from being a sinner from being a sinner to a saint all right it's a positional reality Do you understand what I mean by that? It's a positional reality. And it's based upon which kingdom you are in. In verse 21 it says, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And there's a difference here between what was done in rebellion to God and things that are done in the sight of God done to glorify his name, done in his kingdom. And that doesn't mean if we're in his kingdom, we're not going to struggle with our thoughts <laughs> and actions, things that are offensive still to God. But they are not held against you any longer. They are not held against you because your position has changed. You're in the raft. You're in the raft. <laughs> That's right. You're in that the kingdom raft because you have accepted Christ who paid the price for that sin for all t- even the ones you haven't committed yet. Right? And it's not an excuse to fin- sin freely. Paul really gets into that when they say, oh, cool, we can do whatever we want now. And, Paul, and then it was just, you know, because, you know, the freer the, the grace, the more. And Paul says, no, that's not what it is. It's a chance to live freely in spite of sin. You know, I may have said it before, but um, I heard, um, oh, I've forgotten his name. Uh, it, it's a TV preacher who's quite good. Very, He's older. He's been around a long time, and the name will come to me at the end of the sermon. <laughs> um, he asked the congregation, how many of you can go two minutes without sinning? And nobody put up his hand. And he went, how many even go five minutes without sinning? And almost nobody put up his hand. He said, what's the matter with you people? He goes, don't you know who you are? You still think of yourself as a sinner? You're not a sinner anymore. Your position has changed. You're a saint. And this has been done by God. Not by you, not by works. He has accomplished it on your behalf. You're now in the kingdom of God. He goes, surely... You can go five minutes without sinning. Stop thinking of yourself in this way and remember who you are, a saint who falls into sin, but someone who God is working in daily to build up to make more righteous and holy, sanctification, right? Moving in the right direction. And because God's spirit is in us, we are moving towards holiness and further away from sinful behaviors. We're not done yet. And in fact, who's the oldest person in the room? I won't pick you out. I won't say anything. Are you done yet? Walt, are you done yet? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. The Bible says we're either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. Either Satan is your master or Jesus. There's no gray area. There's no fence sitting. No hanging out in the middle between the kingdoms. He says there is no such thing. There are only two kingdoms. So if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you remain in the dark. And even your good deeds are done in rebellion against God. But if you put your trust in Jesus as the one who can save you, are willing to have your sins exposed before a holy God, bring your entire life into the light, which takes courage. It takes courage. It's hard. It's not an easy thing to do but then you will be cleansed of sin, cleansed of sin, made into a new creation, he says. And you'll be transformed, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And this is a spiritual reality. I will say as real as the sunrise, Now more real than that, because we know eventually the sun will fade, if science is correct. And I think they're correct on that. All things will fade, including the sun. But our relationship with Jesus Christ that he has accomplished on our behalf will not fade, is always, is eternal. It's more real even than the sunrise. It's a change of citizenship, and you've probably heard the scriptures talk about that as well, that our citizenship has changed, and we're now a citizen of another country with all the rights and privileges that entails. You are no longer subject to Satan and his influences over your life, no longer condemned for sinful behaviors you might fall into, because these things are now in the light. They're in the light. You know, being in the light means when we sin, the Holy Spirit tweaks our conscience, and we're aware of it right away. Right? We may even try to ignore it for a little while, but he doesn't let us go. And so we it 's in the light, and it comes into the light, and when it comes into the light, we deal with it, and we come before the Lord, and He says, "Then he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. if we come before him and acknowledge our sin, he forgives us our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and That was john speaking to the to the believers, not to sinners. he was talking to the believers about that because we 're not done yet. <laughs> god's still working on me right is that song our friend daniel likes to sing and we mature and we move on and we sin less and less right well good stuff (laughs) maybe not maybe it's not that easy but the reality is in christ all things are possible including us reaching a place of holiness and righteousness, walking in his way, um, conforming more and more into the image of Christ. The thing is, you can't do that if you're not in Christ. That's how it is. You, and you can't move yourself out of one kingdom into another. Someone can't barge into the other kingdom. They can't get over the wall. They can't get through the gate, however you want to say it the only one who has the power to bring you into the kingdom and to keep you there is Jesus Christ. And there's nothing you can do but believe. It's, and I saw this image and I thought, yeah, it's like a man choking on a bone, right? He can't save himself. If I'm choking, I can't save myself. But Bob can save me if he knows what to do. I need someone else to save me. We are powerless against Satan unless we put our faith in Christ, and then he pulls us out of darkness and plunks us down into his kingdom, into the kingdom of light. Then Satan is powerless against us. He moves from having power over us to being powerless against us. We might be tempted. We might even succumb in some ways. But as long as we put our faith in Jesus He helps us. He makes sure we are not overcome. We are not overcome, but are overcomers in Christ, right? So God's desire, I think, as a sinner and as one who falls into sin on occasion is the response of the tax collector in Luke 18. You remember that that we talked about that. There was the difference between the tax collector and the Pharisee who both went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee uh, saw the tax collector and afterward, wow, thanks God that I'm not like that one, that sinner. I pay my tithe, I'm a good person, I do everything right, right? It says the tax collector could not even enter the temple, but stayed at a distance. It did not even lift his eyes up into heaven, but beat his breast and cried out, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the response that God desires. That's a true acknowledgement of who we are and who he is. And within that, he works. Within that, he works and changes and helps us. That is the cry of a sinner who truly understands their sin and earnestly seeks God. One who has come to know they are in opposition to God, right? And desires a new life in Christ. Head knowledge alone is not enough. It's not enough. We must have an understanding of our sin nature and God's holy nature that it must encompass all of us, our our mind, our heart, our soul, completely. I I had a, a short time relationship with someone in Saskatchewan who believed the only way he could rely on knowing God was through his head. No emotions, no nothing else. No work of the Holy Spirit. That was too scary. Just through his, his mind. And I said to him, you know what? You, you're missing out on so much. You have a partial relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a partial relationship because he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And that's how we need to embrace Christ. He, uh, he doesn't want just part of us. He wants all of us. He wants us all in. And He desires for us to willingly give up control of our lives. That's the bottom line. Are you willing to give up control of your life to Jesus Christ? I know when I came to the Lord, it was one of the first statements I made because I had a profound understanding of the truth of who I was and who God was and the pitifulness of my life and me being in control of it. And I told the Lord. Lord, you take control. Please take control. Because what I'm doing is not working. What I'm doing is not working. So please take control. No one understands the love of God better than those of us who have entered the kingdom. Amen? It's true. (laughs) Who understands God's love? Only those who, who have experienced it and have embraced it and have entered the kingdom. Others may... They have a hint of it. They have that sense of a a universal God who pours out his grace and his mercy on all. The rain falls on all, right? That sense of that that love of God for everyone and and his blessing on everyone. But we know the amazing grace of God because we have been made aware of our sin in light of God's holiness. And I think that's why Isaiah says, that his, his righteousness or his righteous acts are like a dirty rag in, in, in comparison to God or in his presence, in his holiness. And, and because he, in the presence of the Lord, understands who he is in comparison to a holy God. Until that happens, we really can't know Jesus Christ. Until we understand who we are, and who God is, and then and, and comparison between us. So for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son is the message, is God's proclamation to the world. Whether the world accepts it or not, it is the truth of God as expressed by God himself. God is love, and his love is poured out to us through his son and by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And that's true, just as true for those who reject God. They love, he loves them, right? We know this. It is for these, Jesus says, says that I came. He said, I did not come for the healthy, those who believe in me, those who understand God and and serve him, but for the sick, those who do not know him, those that they think that, that don't know him, that is why I came. And how many of us, when we think of the love of God, how many of us can look back on our life even before we were saved, and, and I can do this in a way that is shocking to me now, and look back and go, how many times did God save me from my own idiocy? From, <laughs> from drowning literally in a river that I shouldn't have been in. From death, from doing stupid things. Um, and for me, even because of my past, which I am not proud of and will not glorify in any way, saved me from being going to jail more than once, which would have hampered me from doing his kingdom work in the future in a terrible way and may have turned me down a road that would have been horrible. He saved me even from that because he already had a purpose for me. He's a purpose for every one of us. So the love of God before we even believe in him is profound and is amazing. You know, God loves us so much that he is working in our lives even from birth, right from birth, watching over us and seeking to draw us near to himself. And truly, we only recognize the depth of God's love after we have been brought into the kingdom. And I guess that's um, through these songs that we're talking about today. That's especially the kids' song. Right? That's how we express to others who God is and help them to see the raft. Help them to see Jesus and their need for Jesus. It's not us condemning them. You know, it, it, Paul says, in all these things that we do as we speak to people of Christ, do it with love, with kindness, with graciousness, with respect. It's, it's this attractiveness of the love of God in us And people seeing that and desiring that for themselves. And so um, love, God has poured out his love on us. And we know that in order that we might be uh, as citizens in his kingdom, he says, ambassadors. Ambassadors of the Lord. And so not knowing who the Lord is calling, not knowing who the Lord is speaking to in their heart, we take every opportunity as the Lord provides, and is good, and right, and respectful, and is is from, I believe, from the Holy Spirit prompting us, we take that opportunity, and we speak the name of Jesus, and we point to his word. Amen? Okay. Uh, If the worship team would please come back up, and Dave, would you lead us um, in a, a moment of thanksgiving, and for the offering?